So welcome to part two of uh, our shurim on Birkat Amazon on benching. And um, as I had said uh, in the previous year, there's really, you know, there's literally books written on benching, like entire books. So to condense that into just two lectures, two shurim, is obviously impossible to do it fully justice. But we thought we would try to pick some of the more basic foundational uh, topics, both that introduce the premises and uh, the foundations of benching, which is what we spent time uh, last week discussing. Where does benching come from? Is it a Torah obligation? Which parts of it are Torah obligation? The words, the brachos, different themes. Uh, that was last week's so shir. And today I would like to do three things. Even the three, it's hard to, it'll be hard to uh, finish them all in an hour, but we will, bli uh, And there's still things we are leaving out, but I think given uh, the goal of two shurim as an overview... And our audience, I think that uh, these are the right choices. I want to speak about three topics today. Uh, one is the obligation of women in benching. Is there any reason that benching would be different for women? And are there, are there any differences between men and women? And if so, why? And number two and three are the issues which I mentioned uh, last week, which is I think that in many ways some of the most interesting uh, questions in the halachos of benching are also unfortunately some of the more common issues, which are when people forget. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, you know, uh, in my house, this is a constant uh, struggle. Uh, I would like to think only with my children, uh, but I think sometimes with the parents as well we forget, and uh, we're all trying to be better at that. But this is not one of those things where it's like, you know, once every 20-something years, you, know, you need to know the halacha. Like, you know, forgetting benching and what are the halachos of that, that could be, you know, a few times a week kind of thing, theoretically. Hopefully not, but... It's common enough that I think we should be familiar. So what I'd like to do is break that down into the second and third parts of today's year, which is how long do you have to bench? Which is not only if you forget and you remember, what about long meals, things like that? And then number three will be what if you change places? Or can you, you know, you, you remember and you're, you know, 20 minutes away. Or what about if you are, you know, starting your meal in one place, but you like to go to a Sheva Brachas down the block or... Something like that. So those are the three topics that we'll discuss. I'm sure there are things we're not going to get to uh, in the wide world of benching that you might be curious about. But uh, these are the three topics that I think, I hope we can, uh, in a very learned way, uh, get through today. So if you take a look at, uh, for those of you who have a source sheet, and if not, please uh, share and sit next to someone who does. In source number one, this is the, uh, the basis of the entire discussion of women and benching. And the Mishnah tells us in source number one, this is in Brachot Davchaf, very directly, unequivocally, women at Nashim are chayavin, not only in tefillah, davening, not our topic, although I'm sure we'll have a series on that. Women are chayavin davening. Tefillah, uh, mezuzah, if a woman would live on her own in a house, she has to have a mezuzah. And for our purposes, berkat hamazon. Women are obligated to bench. Now, based on what we saw last week, or your broader knowledge of benching, uh, this is so unsurprising as to actually beggar the question, why do you even need to tell me? Right? Why wouldn't you think, why wouldn't women be chayav in benching? The Pasuk says, Women know how to eat, women know how to become full, and therefore presumably women would be obligated. So there is actually a havamina. The Gemara thinks maybe, maybe somehow benching is time-bound, but the Gemara really rejects that pretty quickly. And then the Gemara explains, in the end of the first line, going into the second line, the only question, although this, as we shall see, doesn't really ever get fully resolved, the only question is not whether women are obligated or not. Obviously, women would be obligated in benching uh, every much is a man. The only question, says the Gemara, if you look at the end of the first line, is what's the level of the obligation? or Is it possible that women are obligated in benching, but only rabbinically? 
Now, even that, we have to try to understand why would that be? Why wouldn't they be obligated midaraisa? Again, the Pasuk says, v'yachalta, v'savata, v'yrachta. Eat full, and then say thank you to God. So if that's the case, what would even be, what would even be the Havamina? Before we get to try to answering uh, that question, uh, the, we really should address a second question, which is, who cares? Right? This, I often get this question, uh, which is, you're going to give me all the academic, the details, is this up? Do I have to do it or not? And it's clear in the Gemara and the Mishnah, women have to bench. So you'll tell me it's on the level of a Darais, so you'll tell me it's on the level of... The accountant in the sky needs to know how much credit to give me. But I need to know if I have to bench. And I have to bench. So what's the difference? That's the Gemara's question. So there's going to be two answers to that. And the first is what the Gemara itself answers. Which if you take a look on the second line, the Gemara considers the possibility, could a woman actually bench, let's say out loud, and be motzi her husband or a man? Could the woman be the chazanit, so to speak, for benching to obligate people? And the Gemara begins by quoting a brisa, it's in the second line, which says, yes, isha mevarechet leba'ala. A woman could be motzi, her husband, in benching. And the, initially at least, it certainly seems like what that is indicating is what? The woman must be obligated to write up no less than a man. Therefore, a woman could be motzi, her husband, or theoretically any other man, but let's... This is, you know, this is a PG rated shear, so we'll just speak about her husband, okay? So the Gemara is not 100% convinced that that would be true. After all, the Gemara says that in that same Brita that says that a woman could be motzi her, ma- her husband, it mentions a child being motzi his father. So something is a little bit, that, that's surprising. So how do we understand that? So the Gemara explains uh, on the third line that what we're talking about is a case, and this is something we mentioned last week. Even though we say benching is a Torah obligation, that really is only if you are visavata, if you're full. Let's just have a little bit, half a piece of bread or something, a very small amount of bread. Let's even assume it was a, right? a kazayas, but you're not full. So there we say that's only a rabbinic obligation to bench. So the Gemara says that must be the case. How could an under bar mitzvah aged boy bench for his father? His father's listening, his father says amen, but the underage boy benched. Right? This could happen in either one of two cases, easily envisioned. Either maybe the father's a Balchuva, doesn't know yet Hebrew, or the father's very sick. Right? I mean, you don't need corona, but in, in, when people who are pretty sick in corona, but again, not, God forbid, really, really sick, there were people who just were too weak to daven, too weak to bench. So people, and there are plenty of other medical conditions where this happens as well, loved ones sit near the bed and they would bench for them. So let's say this boy is benching for his father. He barely ate, he barely ate anything. He's, still, he's not really full. So the Gemara says that would probably be the case. Well, if, that, if that's the case, if that's the case for the son, the underbar mitzvah boy, maybe the Gemara says that you don't have a proof about the wife, about women, because maybe when the Brisa had said that a woman could be mostly her husband, it was only referring to what? Also a case where the husband had really barely eaten anything. So maybe that doesn't tell me one way or the other. So in case you're confused, that's exactly the point. Sometimes that's a bug, sometimes that's a function. It's not clear. It's not clear at the end of the Gemara what is the resolution. Now before we figure out, bottom line, what does all this mean, let's take one more step back, which is, one second, why should this, as I, I previously mentioned, but now we're going to answer the question, why should this be a question at all? Why wouldn't you think that women would be obligated exactly the same way as men? So here we actually have two different theories for why women might not be obligated in the same way as men. And this is a machloket between uh, 
no less than Rashi in source number two, and Tosafot in source number three. And this goes back again to, even though I said you don't have to have been last week's year to understand today, because that's where we're going to, only a few touch points, but on those few touch points I'm reviewing anyway, but this is something that we discussed last week, mm-hmm. which is that in the themes of benching, one of them, Rashi points out, we know this is, right, Ahaaretz, Valhamazon, right, our second bracha, it's not just thanking Hashem for the food, Hazan HaSakol, but if you're eating in London, or New York, or Australia, or anywhere else, we're always thanking Hashem, Ahaaretz, Valhamazon, also for Eretz Yisrael. That's one of the Daraisa obligations for benching, it doesn't matter where you are. So says Rashi, source number two, given the fact that Aretz, part of the integral part of benching is, no matter where you are, you have to thank Hashem for Eretz Yisrael, that Hashem gave us Eretz Yisrael, Aretz lo nitna l'nekevo right? As we know from the famous story with Benos Salafchad, or other stories, in the traditional uh, Jewish conception, right, you grow up as part of a Shevet, you're from Shevet Levi, you're from, uh, take that back, not Levi, let's not use Levi, uh, I'm Levi, so that was a Freudian mistake. Uh, Shimon, Ephraim, whatever. So you grow up in your parents' home. That's fine. You have another... Then you get married. And then whichever tribe you are marrying, either you stay within your tribe or not, that family has land. And then you as the woman of the house are part of that family. But as an independent entity, as a single woman, the Torah didn't have women inherit land. Right? That's the whole story with Benos Salafad. So says Rashi, all the Jewish people got the land, but to say specifically that the land was given to women, Rashi thinks maybe that's not true for women, and therefore they can't say that bracha, that, you know, thanking you Hashem for giving me the land. I have the land as a part of a unit of Am Yisrael, but not me as a female. That's Rashi's theory. So leave aside any modern sensibilities which might be rubbed the wrong way. Leave aside, that's not our topic at all. But the Rishonim ready to say that's not so persuasive. Because guess who else didn't get portions in the land? Yes. Me! Well, you're, uh, you think you're better than me? I'm a levy. I also got nothing. What about a Kohen? So says Tosvod and others, that can't be the thing. No one ever dreamed that a Kohen or a levy is not obligated to bench. No one ever dreamed that a Kohen or a levy couldn't bench and be Motsi or Yisrael, someone from Shevet Shimon. So, that, so whatever, however Rashi would answer that, that's not, we don't have time to get into it. That's Rashi's theory, but that's why it may not be the most persuasive theory. And therefore, in source number three, Tosfos gives a different theory, which is, as we also saw last week, in addition to the primary theme of Aretz, in that same bracha, Nodev Alakol, what else do we have to mention? Themes of, and as Tosfos quotes it, we also have to say in benching, It's important to mention Mila, to mention the mitzvah of Bris Mila in benching, and we also mentioned the obligation of Torah. And as we saw last week, the reason is, whatever the ultimate rationale is, but the, the bottom line is, that somehow Mila and Torah are part of the zuchus, the merit that give us Eretz Yisrael. So therefore, in the bracha, where we thank Hashem for the food in Eretz Yisrael, we also have to include Torah and Mila. So says Tosos, maybe that's why women would be only obligated to Rabbanan. Because since those are also integral parts of benching, and a woman is not obligated in Bris Mila, and as you know, women do not have the same level of obligation in learning Torah as men. Maybe that's the reason why women would also not be obligated in benching. So we don't know for sure what the answer is, but al-hatsad, as we say, on the possibility that women have a lesser obligation than men, at least now we know why they would. What would be the reason to even consider it? That women would have a less obligation? 
The answer is either because of the Eretz Yisrael inheritance thing, or I think more persuasively because of either the Talmud Torah and the the um, and the and the Brismila thing, which of course begs the question: the other side. Well, if that's the reason why women would have lesser obligation, why is there another opinion in the Gemara that says that women are obligated just as much as men? That was the first opinion in the Gemara. That opinion also knew that women are not obligated in Brismila or in Talmud Torah. And this seemingly obvious answer, which many Mepharshim give, is because we're not saying in benching, I'm obligated to learn Torah. I'm obligated in Brismila. We're saying the Jewish people were obligated in Brismila. The Jewish people have a bris through Torah and through Mila. And it's in the zuchut of those mitzvos that connect us. Alternatively, it may also be that women can still play an integral role, not only in making sure the bris takes place, but as we also know when it comes to learning Torah, what's another reason? Because women are actually are obligated to learn Torah. Not the same way as men, not the same quantity of Torah, but what are women obligated to learn? About the mitzvahs that they're obligated in, which just happened to be about 607 out of 613. An incredibly small number of mitzvahs which are gender-specific. I'm not saying there are none. Of course there are some. But if you, there are, there's a much bigger discrepancy of do you live in Israel or outside of Israel? Are you a Kohen or not a Kohen? Are you in the base of Migdash? There are plenty of mitzvahs that not all Jews are obligated in. But all things being equal, if it's just a question of gender, it is an incredibly, incredibly small number at the end of the day, which we say women are not obligated the same way as men are. But, in Talmud Torah, is generally considered one of those. But even that is not 100% true. Because, as I said, we assume that women are obligated. There's a chiv to know the laws of benching. Whether you came to this year or you learned it another way. You as a woman have to know the laws of benching just like I have to know the laws of benching. And you have to know the laws of tefillah and all the other things, like everything, virtually, that are equally applicable to you. So one way or the other, that seems to be the debate. Now the bottom line is, let's get tachlis here, so we can move on to our other topics. What is the bottom line? Now that I know what the, what the ping pong back and forth is about, obligated, not obligated, brismila, Torah, Israel, da, 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 da. okay, Tell me, bottom line, Rabbi, am I obligated or not? So take a look at the Shulchan Aruch. The Shulchan Aruch punts. Shulchan Aruch just can't, can't make up his mind. On the one hand, he says, Nashim chayavot source number four. Okay, that the mission already told us. Women must bench. But says the Shulchan Aruch, I'm just not sure. Saveku. Imhein chayavos midaraisa. O'enun chayavos ela midrabanan. And Shulchan Aruch brings down quite clearly. And what would be the difference? So what's the difference with Rabbi? Could a woman be motzi her husband, or theoretically any other man? If she's obligated to write, she could. If she's obligated to be in in a typical case, she would not be able to. Why is the Shulchan Aruch unsure? Because even though I didn't give it to you, because I knew it would take us too long, it's a huge machloket in the Rishonim. How to read the Gemara? What's the conclusion of the Gemara? This, at the end of the Gemara, how do we decide? We're not really sure. There's different opinions. And this is one of those rare cases where the Shulchan Aruch himself cannot resolve it. So take a look. If the Shulchan Aruch can resolve it, let's see if we can go further. Take a look. Source number five and six, the Mishnah Brura and the Bir Alacha. You know, some of you I'm sure do, but for those who don't, just uh, to review, the Mishnah Brura uh, was not his name, actually, when he was a kid, and he didn't clean up his clothes, because I'm sure he didn't, and when he made fun of his little sister, which I'm sure he did, because he was a normal kid, his mother didn't say, Mishnah Brura, put up your, pick up your clothes. Now, what was his name? He didn't say Chavitz Chaim either. He didn't say Chavitz Chaim right. Yisrael Meir HaKohen. Yisrael, I don't know if she called him Surly. That much, this, this much information we don't have. But I do know she didn't call him Mishnah Brurile. Right? 
But he wrote, right? We, this is one of our idiosyncrasies. We call people after their famous books. And if you're somebody like Yisrael Meir Cohen, you have a lot of famous books. So you could call him the Mishnah Brura, you could call him the Chavetz Chaim. Right? So in the Mishnah Brura, though, which is the term we use, there's actually three different components that he wrote. One is the Mishnah Brura, but in source number six, the Bir Halacha, that's also the Mishnah Brura, it's the same author. It's just a different style, it's more in-depth essays, but it's in the same book. You buy, you buy a book of Mishnah Brura, you open it up, you see the different sections, so that's just a little background information for you. But what does he say? We'll call him the Mishnah Brura uh, here. Source number five, he quotes from earlier Achronim who say, listen, first of all, you should know there's another nafkamina. And this is more relevant to you, because let's be honest, when's the last time you benched for your husband? And hopefully he should live and be well and be healthy, you don't have to do it anytime soon. What's a much more practical issue? If you're not sure, savek, you know, raise your hand if you've never had that. Right? That happens to everybody. You can't remember, did I bench, didn't I bench? So what do you do? Do you go back or not? And we know the rule. What's the usual rule? If it's a Torah obligation, you'd have to go back. If it's a Rabbani, you don't. So now we need to know. Now the rubber hits the road. Now we need to know. Is a woman obligated to meet a right or meet a Rabbanan? That's going to have a huge consequence for any case when she's not sure if she benched or not. Does she have to go say benching just in case? Or can she just assume that it was okay? So that's what the Mishabura says in source number five. And he's quoting the Shah Ephraim, that's one of the earlier Achronim, Ephraim is Alman Margolios. Isha Sha'achla Kade Sviya Nistapke in Bircha. She's not sure. Again, this happens all the time to people, men and women. So says the Shah Ephraim, Chayeves Levarech. A woman who's not sure, we basically assume in our kishkas, in our guts, says the Shah Ephraim, that she's obligated no less than men. And therefore, you want equality, you get equality, equality of obligation. You're obligated just in case to be machmir and to repeat pension when you're not sure. That's his opinion. However, he continues and says, others disagree. Others disagree. Take a look at Rabbi Kiv Eger and the Birke Yosef, second line. They say no. Because he thinks that it's probably only the Rabbanan. So if we would stop here, we have gone no further. This is what I sometimes, I think my wife sometimes feels whenever I give a shear. You're doing a lot of running in place. A lot of movement, but we haven't gotten anywhere. Right? You know, you're, you're sweating. You're working hard. I see it. But where'd we go? We didn't get anywhere. Lots of shitas. We're still in the same place. We're not sure. At least now we know a second and more common application of the question. But we don't yet really have a resolution. So for this, thankfully, uh, the Mishnah Brewer himself helps us. We look at the last line where it's underlined. He says, nevertheless, mikamakom. Bottom line. Nira deharotza lismo chaldashar frayim v'siyato. And we don't have time to read it, but more or less he says the same thing again in source number six. In other words, bottom line, here we go, listen carefully, here's the bottom line. It seems to me, as I understand the Mishnah Brura, the Biralacha, bottom line, if a woman is unsure about whether she benched or not, she has a right not to bench. At the end of the day, since there's at least a chance that it's only Durabanan, we can rely on that if a woman doesn't want to bench. Nevertheless, said the Mishnah Brunet, I love the way he formulated it. He says, again, let's read it again, that last few words, if a woman wants to bench, which is to say, I think that many people, not everybody, that's why it's important to know, but many, other pe- many people would, would look at me the same way Alyssa was looking at me. It's like, really? But like, what if I want to bench? Like, and that's what says the Mishnah Brunet. You don't, don't say... A woman shouldn't bench. Maybe it's a bracha 
Sadak Brachos Lahakel. Now we're not convinced that she shouldn't bench, but if for whatever reason it's too difficult to go back, she doesn't want to go back, so I don't have that option. You have that option. But you also have, you have, the, you have all the gain and none of the, none of the risk. If you don't go back, it's okay. And if you want to bench again, even better. But you don't have to go back, but if you want to, you certainly can. Shlomo Zalman Orbach, I saw quoted, he was even a little bit stronger than the Mishnah Brura. He thinks, again, not you're obligated, but he thinks it's a good idea. Women ought to go back if they're not sure for the simple reason, a psychological insight. And especially if, if you'll add, if this happens to you, you know, with, with any level of frequency, if you don't go back on those kind of cases, Shlomo is worried that psychologically you could come to be mezalzal and benching. It's as if you're kind of telling yourself either that benching is not important or I'm not really obligated, come on. If I was really obligated, the rabbi would make me go back. And he's just worried about the kind of long-term, downstream, subliminal message you're giving yourself about benching. Right? You could take it or leave it, but that's what Shlomo Zalman thinks. It's not just like, if you want, you could go back. He's a little bit stronger than Mishnah Brewer. He thinks really a woman ought to. If she didn't, so I really did something, as a man, I did something wrong. As a woman, you have what to rely on. So again, you're in a much more privileged position than a man in this case. You have all the upside and none of the downside. Okay? And that seems to be uh, the conclusion uh, at the end, at least for Ashkenazi women. As a general rule in the world of brachos, including benching, but as a general rule about brachos, Sfardi poskim are much, much more nervous about Shem Hashem Levatala. So anytime there's any kind of question, for men or for women, for example, Rav Avadji Yosef is always saying, you don't have to bet, you don't to, no, no, don't worry. And that's exactly what the, the uh, Rav Avadji and the Yaki Yosef, his son of Yisuk Yosef, they, they feel if a woman is in doubt, go without. Don't do it, because maybe, 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 depending on this shita and that shita, maybe she's not obligated, and it could be maybe, maybe a Shailah of the Rabbanon, of a Brachal of Atala. So that would be the Psaq for a woman who follows Sephardi Masorah, uh, as far as I know, at least from Rav Avadji. But uh, the Ashkenazi approach, you have the Mishnah Bura and Rosh Hashanah Zalman going even further. You're not obligated to go back if you're not sure, but you may, or in Rosh Hashanah Zalman, you're even encouraged uh, to go back. Okay? Any questions just on this issue of women and cases of doubt? We're good? Fantastic. Okay, now, oh, one, one more thing, one more thing. Just as an FYI, I'll do this very quickly, because I think it would surprise you to know that how do we get into this whole mess we, we, we walked in, assuming women are obligated in benching, and now we spent 15 minutes realizing I'm still obligated because I ran a lot in place and didn't get anywhere. I got that look from my wife. But at the end of the day, I now know this is a more, you know, I, I did schwitz a little bit. We did, we, did, we did exercise our mental muscles the last 15 minutes. We now know it's a little bit more complicated than we thought, right? So, but, so the answer is another surprise for you. Source number seven, the Ramah, there at the end of source number seven, he says, how do we all we get started in this? Because of the issue of, well, maybe women aren't obligated in Torah, and in, Torah, and in Prismila, and maybe that's why they wouldn't be obligated in benching. Okay, but now that we said women may really well be obligated in benching, or more than that, everyone agrees it's rabbinically a woman has to bench. The only question was in doubt, and so says the Ramah, yeah, but you know what? When women bench, they shouldn't say the words, they should leave that out. Did you know that? This is probably a shock to most people. The Ramah says, source number uh, seven, Nashim lo yomru bris v'torah. Now the reason you never heard of it is because that's not our practice. 
you haven't been doing anything wrong your whole life, your whole life you've been saying it, keep on saying it. And that's what the Mishnah Baruch points out in source number 8. Mikomakom biyameinu nagu nashim lomar gamkein. Women say the exact same benching as men. There's no, you know, women's bencher and men's bencher. It's the same bencher. Svardim never even went through this process. They point out that Shulchan Aruch never said otherwise. Of course the women, Shulchan Aruch thinks the women say the same thing as men. But apparently the Ramah thought, no. Not only is that a reason maybe women are obligated, but they shouldn't even say the words because it's not true. How could a woman say, just think of the word, just, you know, again, we should know what we're saying when we say things. How could a woman say, There's no bris on my body. Right? There's no Torah that I'm obligated. So again, the Mishnah Brewer points out, so why is our minhag that you say the same benching as I do? Because I mentioned previously, his women are beneficiaries of the mitzvah bris milah. They're connected to their child's milah anyway. And when it comes to Torah, as the uh, Mishnah Brewer himself says, number one is you can either look at it as women are thanking Hashem for giving the Jewish people the Torah, even if they weren't obligated to study it. Moreover, as I said, and the Mishnah Brewer said, we'll just read this inside, just so you should see it. I wasn't faking it. The last line of source number eight. V'od, gam hanashim srichos lilmod. Women do have an obligation to learn. At least specifically, mitzvah shalahen, leida heich la'asotan. How are you supposed to know how to daven, how to keep Shabbos, how to keep uh, kosher, how to keep taras hamashpacha? If you don't learn, of course you have to learn. Okay? So given all of that, um, the bottom line is we are exactly where you were probably when you came in. Uh, we just exercised our intellectual muscles a little bit. You are obligated to bench. It's a little bit of a question what the level of the obligation is. Practically speaking, when might that even make a difference? Only if you're not sure, and or the rare case where you want to be mostly a man. And in those cases, we're still a little bit hedging. It seems to be machlokas. Mishabura and Ashkenazim lean towards be machmer on yourself and do it. And Sephardim are a little bit more cautious about that. Okay, so now we're really, really done. Adkan Hakafa Aleph. Okay, next. Yes, of course. Um, if you, you know if you forget what to say on Shabbos? Yes. So you're meant to repeat? Yes. So is that the same? Yes, I think so. I think a woman should absolutely go back. Yes, yeah, yes, yes, yes. Good, <coughs> yes, very good question. Very good question. Okay, let's go to, we have two more issues we want to get to in 30 minutes to do it. How long can you wait? Right? People get distracted. I can imagine a million scenarios, some of them more legitimate like seven kids, you know, jumping off the roof and fighting and, you know, where the phone rings. And other times we're, we're just careless, right? All of us have our moments. So what are the obligations? What are the parameters of how long you can wait? So let's try to go through this thoroughly, but a little quicker than we were before this. Says the mission of source number nine. You know how long? As long as the food is still being digested, not to gross anybody out, but as long as you're still digesting the food, you can still bench. Once you've already fully digested, it's too late. Okay, who wants to tell me how long that is? I don't know. Nobody knows, right? Exactly. So in the, in the time of the Mishnah, there's no way they knew. With some precision, right? So the Gemara is aware of that. The Gemara says, source number 10. Well, how long exactly? How are we supposed to know? So the Gemara says, very simple in, uh, way of determining it. Amr Rabbi Yochanan, Kalzaman she'enu ra'iv. If you're not hungry. Once you're hungry, we can assume that you digested the food. Right? That's the Gemara's... Yeah, this is not a science class. We're not medical school now. This is what the, the Gemara says. Okay? We'll see exactly what that means in a moment. But it's slightly more nuanced than it appears. But basically, it's, it is what it appears. If you're not hungry. Then the Gemara quotes a second opinion, which is not clear, because again, nothing is ever clear. Welcome to Torah. Um, is not clear if this is 
and disagreeing or agreeing, but the Gemara quotes a second opinion that actually gives a time limit, gives a time frame. However long it would take to walk, Arba Mil. A meal is not exactly a mile, but it's actually not that far off. And basically this is what is calculated, as you've heard in Hilcha Shabbos and other areas, this is the term that's used that basically is interpreted as 72 minutes. 72 minutes. Okay? So the Gemara initially thinks maybe that's a machloket, and then the Gemara has a very unclear resolution. says the Gemara maybe depends if you had a big meal or a small meal. Which one is which? Not 100% clear. So we've seen where it comes from. It's a Mishnah and a Gemara. We have a basic sense that it has something to do with digestion, and maybe there's a time frame, but we're not 100% clear. So we take a look at the Shulchan Aruch, and he'll tell us. North source number 11. How long do you have to bench? Until the food is digested. In the, in the Socratic method, the Shulchan Aruch says, where it's underlined, the Kamashiro, and how long does it take for food to be digested? Calls him on train arrive. Okay, we haven't progressed from the Gemara. But then, Shulchan Aruch adds, very important, Umishash, second line, this is based on an opinion of Rabbeinu Yonah. He says it doesn't mean until you're fully hungry. It means until you start that first pang, you know, after lunch, that first pang, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night after dinner, where you maybe feel that, I want to have a little snack. I'm already thinking about the next meal. Not that I'm fully hungry and starving yet. It's not fully, it doesn't mean that I'm totally hungry or totally, it means once I start being hungry. Now, in the reality, it's still pretty hard to figure out when that is. But nevertheless, says the Shulchan Aruch, we're going to obviously have to drill down a little bit in a moment, but if you wanted to stop here for a moment, where, where were we four or five hundred years ago? We're up to the Shulchan Aruch. Shulchan Aruch says, yes, based on the mission of the Gemara, we assume that the primary opinion is when you, finish, when you digest the food, which means when you get hungry, which does not mean when you're starving. It means when you just start to be already getting that feeling of maybe I'm hungry for the next meal. So, take a look at source number 12. Very, very common sense, very, very basic observation of the Aruch HaShulchan. We know even though it's a little, it could be a little bit of a tongue twister, but the Aruch HaShulchan is not the same as the Shulchan Aruch. That's just a cute play on words. This was written hundreds of years later, in the early part of the 20th century, late 19th century, of Yechiel Michal Epstein, who was a rub in Navardic. And he was a great, great posseg an older contemporary of the Mishnah Brura, or the Chavetz Chaim, whoever you prefer, um, and he very, wrote a very important work of halacha. And he says right away in source number 12, digestion, hunger, beginning of hunger, end of hunger, says Aruch HaShulchan, Ube Emet, Kashe L'Shayer Bezeh. How's anyone supposed to figure out what that is? You know, we're a little bit OCD in halacha. Give me a number, tell me. Each time I'm going to figure out, I'm a little hungry, I'm a lot hungry, I'm, right? I can't figure that out, and I got challenges in that area, and I got to do the Hilchas Brachos. Right? That's for me and my nutritionist to figure out. Right? Only when you're hungry. Shkoyach. When is that? I'm always hungry. What does that mean? So says the Aruch HaShulchan, How is he supposed to figure that out? I'm not really sure. Me, in second line, Me, Yucha, L'Shayer. Who can figure this stuff out? It's very, very tricky. So says the Aruch HaShulchan, as we turn over the page, Bottom line, this is what we say as follows. He thinks that by the time we get to the end of the Gemara, we're basically usually using the amount of four meal, which as he tells us there is, Sha'av Yudbet right? A Sha'a an hour and 12 Chalakim. 60 plus 12 is 72 minutes. So he says at the end of the day, 
again, you could look at this as a quote-unquote cooler chumra. The way he phrases is actually the chumra. It's been 30 minutes. I just remembered, oh my gosh, I didn't bench. Am I still hungry? Not hungry? I make myself crazy, right? Says the Aruch up to 72 minutes after you finished your meal. Again, you should, of course you should bench right away. But if you didn't, up to 72 minutes, you're obligated to bench. Not just can I, not can I. You have to bench. You must bench. Up to 72 minutes, sarich levarech. And that is generally uh, how we paskin in all the contemporary Hilchas benching books, Hilchas Brochas books. They'll tell you up to 72 minutes, you absolutely should bench. Now, of course, the, every rabbi, I saw this in the name of Roshom Zaman Orbach, but you didn't need to be Roshom Zaman Orbach to say this, it says you shouldn't rely on this. No, you know, yeah, so I have to do something anyway. Let me go out. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's leave aside the issue of leaving where you were. We'll get to that in a moment. That's our next topic. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the house anyway. I'm even in the same room. I'm still in the kitchen. But, you know, let me wash the dishes now. Let me go do the homework with the kid now because I know I have 72 minutes to bench and I'm still obligated. That's what the Aruch Shokhan told me. No, don't play that game. Right? For the simple reason that, what are the overwhelming likelihood is? Forget. You'll forget. Right? Not you, not me, all of us. We'll, we'll forget. So, of course, you shouldn't rely on this, ideally. But at the end of the day, if you forget, which is not uncommon, up to 72 minutes in a standard meal, we assume at least that long, we're sure you haven't even started getting hungry yet, right? Then you really have an issue if you're already hungry less than 62, 72 minutes. Uh, and then you have to bench. Longer than that is really a shayla, which is you don't want to have to get yourself into, obviously. But what happens if you did? So let's do two more issues in this before we discuss the issue of changing location. And that is... The two very more tricky questions, which are super big meals, like the long Shabbos meals, long Sheva brachas, right? You people sometimes sit at the table for hours. Or the small meals. So let's start with the bigger meals. I remember, I don't know if you remember this, I think we were still living in the city when this happened, the first three years of our marriage, one of those years, where we had a company over uh, for Shabbos lunch, and they wouldn't leave. Yes, she, she does, not we're still traumatized. Everyone's had those guests who just won't leave. I want a nap. I don't have little kids. I can still nap. Get out. They wouldn't leave. They were nice people for the first three hours, but after that, it's like, how long? Anyway, so at some point, I got rude. I started sweeping. They didn't get the message. They still didn't leave. I think they're still in the house somewhere. They're probably still in that apartment in Manhattan. Anyway, so whether it's because you have the guests who won't leave, or it's that big family reunion in the Shabbos Sheva Brachos or the Bar Mitzvah or whatever, sometimes meals schlep. You could be sitting at a table... Zmiros, Lashon Hara, whatever you're doing. Everyone's got their minug. Uh, some, both, a little, a little Lashon Hara goes, you know, a little Lashon Hara sprinkled on top of the Torah and the Zmiros and the, and the board games and the partial questions. It's all good, right? Not really, but it's, a, it's good. Anyway, what do you, um, it's been two hours since we last ate. Right? By the way, this happened a lot to families in Corona. Right? The clock, you know, this is one of the brachas of Corona, right? People spend time together for the first time in years. All of a sudden, well, they talked to each other and they were together and no one was running out to go with their friends. It was a different dynamic. So all of a sudden, people had meals that stretched. How long can you bench from those meals? So says the Magen Avram, source number 13. It's not new to our generation. It's not right. You can sit at the table. He's not saying you should get up from the table, but you could bench. No one says you have to get up the table. But nevertheless, people don't always do that. So he says, I could be matzik the minute. And that's longer than 72 minutes, for sure. Sometimes people go from the moment they finish eating. Yeshlomar, he says, He has a tremendous chiddush. He says, it could be 
people when they're at the table for those lengthy period of times, usually nibbling a little bit, a little, you know, you know, if I just take a little bit at a time, it doesn't count. You know, um, I can trick my body, uh, you know, a little bit of the cookie, a little bit of the cookie, a little bit more challah, a little bit more challah. Right? People nibble, even drinking a little bit. So says the Magad Abram, maybe since you're, you know, you're not really eating, and it's stretched out over a long period of time, but maybe that's enough to, so to speak, say the clock didn't even start. Because we said 72 minutes after you finish eating, but I didn't finish eating because I'm still nibbling, I'm gnashing, I'm gnashing uh, while, you know, we do whatever we do. So that's, nevertheless, says the Kitzur Shulchan Aruch, source number 14, he says, listen, nevertheless, he says, you should really try, if you can, not to rely on this. You should try not to rely on that. And if at some point you see, and this has happened, I can't say it's happened many times in my life, but I definitely, I'm trying to remember if it was when I was a host or I was a guest, but I remember there have definitely been times where, you know, either I said or someone said at the table, listen, you know, you're free to stay, we're not going anywhere, but we really should bench. You know, let's bench now and then we don't have to worry, it's off our head. And then we could, that really is the better thing to do. If you have one of these really, really long meals, if you were still noshing a little bit, you know, a little while you're hanging out, you have what to rely on. If you weren't even doing that, then you really could get into a shaila that you probably, you, you may have missed the window. It might really be too late to bench. So you really should try uh, either to keep on noshing a little bit uh, the whole time or, um, or, to, uh, or to make sure to bench before it gets too long. That's the big meals. What about the opposite extreme? Source number 15. The Mishnah Brewer quotes a major machloket. What about if you have a teeny meal? Again, this is by design because you're dieting or by necessity because who knows whatever the situation is, you didn't have that much. But you had bread, you had at least a kezayis, and maybe in the, in, the, in the instant moment, for a moment, you know, you filled up. It wasn't like, but it was so little that really within a matter of time, of course you're going to be hungry again. You barely ate. It was bread. It was even two or three, two pieces of challah, let's say. But that was it. And then you had to go run, who knows what. So says the, the Mishabur, is not sure. It could be you were, you might not even, you might have been full, the, you might be hungry the second you finished eating. We had said until now, well, you have up to 72 minutes, because until then you're really not going to be hungry. But what if I'm hungry right away? I never really got full. So here the Mishabur quotes Machloket. Some say 72 minutes is a red line. You never have less than 72 minutes. You always have, that's your magic time. You always have up to 72 minutes. That's the first opinion that he quotes. The second opinion that he quotes is, he's not so sure. Maybe that's not really enough. He not, really can't rely on that. So what should you do to avoid the problem? The best thing to do if, if you have something like that is, and this would have applied even for the, for the longer meal too, but certainly for the teeny meal, have another kazayas of bread. That's like tchiyas amesim. That revives it. Then you become obligated from, again, so that is the best solution if you could. If you had, again, if you're still if, at a place where you have a little, the option of having bread, so then have another kazayas, and then it's really not a problem. Nevertheless, the Mishnah Brewer does say, bottom line, at the end of source number 15, at the end of the day, bottom line, you open up your Hechel's Brachos book, it'll tell you even if you had no other bread, you had a teeny amount, and you're really hungry, you're almost hungry, in ten, 15 minutes later you're hungry, 30 minutes hungry, later you're hungry. We still give you the 72 minutes. 72 minutes is uh, kind of the, uh, the magical thing. I saw in one of the contemporary svarim that they said, Rav Yashiv said, you shouldn't go longer than 30 minutes in that kind of a case. Okay, Rabbi Machmir, even 30 minutes, but the mission group said 72 minutes, and I think a person has what to rely on. So before we finish this and get to our last, last topic, let me just summarize, because here we did a lot, but it, so it's not confusing, and you could have Masudar in your head. Let's review. If you are definitely still hungry... 
then you can for, then you're still obligated to bench again once you're not that, that once you're um, not then exactly the opposite extreme if you're for sure still full oh sorry I said the opposite I meant the opposite sorry if you're still feeling the, the you know the fullness of your meal then for sure you are still able and obligated to bench if you're for sure not at all it's gone so then it's a problem it's a problem to bench. But most of the cases which are somewhere in the middle are the suffakes. And the suffix cases, again, the best thing would be, if you could, to have another kazais of bread, and that kind of resuscitates and starts the clock anew. But if not, if not, up to 72 minutes you have what to rely on. After that it really is too late. And I can say, I can't say it happens too often, thank God, but in my lifetime it has happened, where I realized, I forgot to bench, I look at the watch, and it was just too late. Sometimes it is just too late. Okay, but and then that's a mistake. That's something you have to do chew before. That's why one of the alchets is about right, is about our brachos and our food. Um, but hopefully we uh, don't. Avoid. So that's the issue of time. Okay, yes, please. If you if you feel any kind of maybe still full, it could be that it would help. But really, it's it would, within seventy two minutes. The, the Mishabur says it's better to do it, but you don't have to do it. If you do, it's for sure better. After that, it's a questionable thing. It's questionable. You really, um, again, unless again, unless you have one of these long meals where you're nibbling, nibbling that you were relying on. But if you just had a normal weekday meal, and then you know between this kid and that kid and whatever, and some work phone call or something, and now it's two hours later, I don't think you could go take a kazaya of bread and eat it. I think you're just too late. Yeah. You forget what you're saying. You're still in the middle of benching, so you just. Stop you have to go back. Yes, yes, you have to go back. I mean, I, I, that's really an entire topic which I'm not going to do justice to now. I had to pick something. To, we triaged, and sh- I know this is the second question that someone asked about Ritze, because it's a so maybe we'll, maybe I should have a third year, or we'll, whatever. Six months from now, we'll discuss the Shabbos benching or something about Shabbos things. But I don't, I don't want to give you too short shift shift of an answer, and I don't want to mislead you in any way. But in general, the oblig- in general, the short answer to Ritze is, anytime you're obligated to have a meal. If you forget say in that case for Shabbos, you have to go back. But even if you're in the middle of benching, you just stop in the middle of the Pesach and... Yes, you have to go back. It's not like you finish what you're saying. No, 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 no. If you're already in the middle of benching, you don't have to worry about an extra Pesachus or something. No, no, you have to go back to say You have to absolutely go back. And do you go back to the beginning? So, that's a separate shear, okay? I I don't want to get into that right now, okay? Anyway, we have 13 minutes left. I think we're we're on schedule, thank God. Let's finish the last part of the shear, which is not so much about the timing... But this happens all the time, um, especially with, with busy people, it can happen with kids. All the scenarios are easy to envision. We've all experienced them, which is, I was eating somewhere and I ain't there anymore. What do I do? Now I remembered about benching. Now I remembered about benching. Uh-oh. So this is source 16 until the end. What do I do? So first of all, it's interesting. The premise which we start with is in source number 16. The premise is a very interesting one. This is from uh, Gemara and Sachet Psachim, which is discussing, ironi- not ironically, but fascinatingly, the question is, if I e- ate in one place, let's say, uh, for now, let's call it, uh, I was having a fruit. And then, I didn't make a bracha chrona, and I walked to another place, and I want to have the same fruit again. Do I need to make a new ha'etz? Okay, now what about if it's cookies? What if it's bread? Do I need to make a new bracha? Because when I made my bracha, I was only in one place, and now I'm in another place. Okay, that's the question the Gemara there is dealing with. But through the back door, the answer of the Gemara is it actually depends on, in a certain sense, benching. That is to say, says the Gemara, 
It depends. Is this the kind of thing that to make your bracha achrona, you have to go back to the original place? If you'd have to go back to the original place to make your bracha achrona, then that means halakhically, maybe even psychologically, but certainly halakhically, you've never really left. Since I have to go back to repeat, to say the bracha achrona, I won't need a bracha rishona in the new place, because I'm still connected, there's a continuity with my first portion. If it's the kind of thing where I say, eh, I forgot, but I don't have to go back anyway. So then, ironically, that means that where you are now is totally disconnected from the first place, and it would give you a kula and a chumrah. I don't have to go back to for the bracha chrona. That means I do need to break a new bracha rishona if I keep on eating. Now, that's not our topic of a bracha rishona. But what the Gemara is giving us as a principle in source number uh, 16 is, apparently, there are some things where if I change my place, and Allah has called shino imakom, if I change my place, I have to go back to bench, or to finish my bracha chrona, should I say. I, so I'm already kind of giving... So it's a big debate what foods that applies to, we generally assume that it only applies to benching. So, other foods it wouldn't, you wouldn't have to go back, okay, I'll make my bar nefashos, and probably it would be true about alamichi also, in the other place. But if I forgot, it sounds like from this, I might have to go back for benching. Now that would also mean that I don't have to make another hamotzi if I want to keep on eating bread. But I would have to, that's what it sounds like. And sure enough, in source number 18, we have a second Gemara, 17 and 18, which is in fact a machlokes about this. Do I have to go back in benching? So we backed into it because of this bracha rishona discussion, but then we go to Masecha Brachos, source 17, 18, it's very direct. And here you have something very interesting in light of what we just saw. Let's see the Mishnah in source number 17. And here the assumption is we're talking about benching. You ate bread, you forgot to bench, and now I'm in some other place. I went to work, I went to the park, I went to my friend's house, wherever. Beishamai Omrim Yachser Lemekomo Vyavarech. Beishamai says, you gotta go back. Bench wherever you ate the first time. Beishil Omrim, eh, you know, you're not gonna win Tzadik of the Year award for this, but we're not gonna make you go back. Yavarech Bamakom Shiniskar, just bench wherever you remember. Parentheses, assuming it's not been too long. But the Gemara is assuming that you went to Rabbi Shir, so you already knew all the halachos about the 72 minutes, etc. So that's the mission. Now, here's the interesting thing. It's Beishamai who says you have to go back, even though that really kind of sounded like what we were already concluding in source 16. But it's Beishamai. Beishel says you don't have to go back. So says the Gemara, let's qualify this in source number 18. After all, there are two scenarios, right? With people in this room, I can assume, why didn't you mention in the first place? Are you a bad person? You hate God? Anti-establishment? You forgot. You're human, you forgot. Says the Gemara, in that case, B'shakach, you forgot? That's the, that we're not really sure. But says the Gemara, first of all, you should know, B'mezid. Let's say a person, deliberately, he knew he didn't bench. He knew she didn't bench. But I gotta go where I gotta go. I'm more important than Hashem. And then, you know, pangs of guilt. You know, and again, there's a million reasons that could happen, but let's take a very common one. Mommy, you didn't bench. Right? Thank God that's why Hashem gave us children. That's our conscience. Right? It's not, I'm not the first person who said that. I think it was the Chasam Sofer who said, children are like a mirror. You know, you see what, you know, when you look, you'll see, you'll see the good things, but not always the good things. Right? It's very important. To, it's very hard. I don't know how people without children have that kind of muster. It's built, it's built in. Okay? So, 
Let's say that's the scenario. So then, of course, says the Gemara, Bemazid, even Beis Hillel, everyone says he got to go back. That was wrong. Rectify it. Okay, but that's not really relevant to us, let's be honest. Right? So what's much more common for us? You forgot. Innocent mistake, but a mistake. So that, says the Gemara, yes, that's the Machloket. Beis Shammai and Beis Hillel. Now, if I were to stop there, what would you assume the halacha would be? Beis Hillel, which is you don't have to go back. But the Gemara, it's a very strange Gemara. I mean, strange in the sense of what we're used to. The Gemara says a story. The Gemara says that Beis Hillel says to Beis Shammai, like rhetorically, if you were eating in some big tower, and now you're who knows where, and you just remembered, are you telling me Beis Shammai, you'd have to go all the way back, you know, to the 10th floor? So Beis Shammai responds. Listen carefully. He says Beis Shammai, I'm paraphrasing. Let's read the one line, the bottom of 18. What if you realize you forgot your watch? You forgot your phone. To forget a phone. The whole world would come tumbling down. Right? If I gave you a choice between your watch and your phone, it's not clear which one people would choose in today's day and age. Wouldn't you go back, says Beishamai? So benching's any less? That's a very powerful argument. Again, we're just surprised that it's the Gemara seems to be giving Beishamai the upper hand. But hey, didn't we always get taught the halachas like Beishelo? So it's not 100% clear. So how do we paskin? So let's wrap this up with a few practical rules. Says the Ramah, source number 19, the first thing he says is the easiest point. <laughs> the obvious point is, you shouldn't really do this. Everyone agrees. No matter what we're going to conclude, this is not the best thing to do. You should bench where you were. Forget whether you could bench in another place. You couldn't bench. You should bench where you ate. That is for sure the best thing. And the Ramah is very practical. Because we're worried, We're worried you're going to forget. Right? Once you change out of sight, out of mind, different associations, that's the best thing. Okay? That's number one. However, says the Ramah there in the end of source number 19, there are times where we would say it's not a problem. It's not even just forgetting for example, let's say, and this happens a lot, I know in our community, it could happen in a lot of other communities, you're still, davening, you're still uh, eating lunch, and you want to go to early mincha. Can you just get up from the table, go to early mincha, and then come back? Could be other scenarios. The Shukh of the Post can speak about what used to be very common is people would eat their lunch, and then they'd go over to a neighbor's for Shavu Brachos. They'd want to bench there. So it says that I'm also number 19, or something like that, mutter. For a mitzvah, then it's okay. Then it is okay. Okay? So that's not just about forgetting. Sometimes we even say, you can go do something and then come back. You shouldn't stop go to hang out with the neighbors. I know there are, there are, there are communities where that happens. Right? Where, again, it's one thing if you bench, then you go join your neighbor's meal. But you, sh- you should not do that before you bench. So I have one son who particularly likes to leave our house all the time to go to his preferred family, which are the Platniks. Um, and he, but, but at least he knows he has to bench before he leaves. So it ends up being, a, what's the tension in our house? Can we bench, please, so I can go to the Platniks? Uh, all right, so this happens a lot in our house. Uh, but at least he knows he's supposed to bench, even though maybe you could say for him it's a mitzvah to go to the Platniks. But still, he knows that it's better he should bench, uh, he should bench first. Okay, so that's, that's number one. Number two, how do we paskin in the case where you forget? Again, the very common case of people forget. So again, the Shulchan Aruch, second time we saw today, Shulchan Aruch kind of punts a little bit. Source number 20. He says, you know, it's really a machlokas. Why is it a machlokas? Because some assume, listen, we got to go like Beis Hillel. We always go like Beis Hillel. 
Basil says you can bench in the second place, you don't have to go back. But other Rishonim say, no, but read the Gemara. The Gemara seemed to give who the upper hand? Beishamai, with that very powerful argument. You'd go back for your wallet, shouldn't you go back for benching? So the Shochanarach says, you know, it seems to be a machlokas. The Rambam says you could bench wherever you are in the second place. But the other Rishonim say, Yachzer lemakom alavarich. Wow. So which one is it? How do we paskin? So the answer is as follows. If you take a look at the end of the Mishnah Bura and source number 21, we basically paskin as follows. In a case of Shogig, you forgot, it is better to go back. If you, ha- if you can go back, if it's possible, it's not going to be too disruptive, it is better to go back to the place that you ate. But, if, again, two qualifications, it was an accident, it slipped your mind, it wasn't deliberate, and number two is it really would be inconvenient to go back, then you are allowed to bench in that second place, which was Basil's opinion. So we, we're very, very conscious of Beishamai, it really is the better thing to do, but if it was only an accident and um, it's really inconvenient to go back, then you can rely on base Hillel. Let me mention one last point, and with this we will conclude, which is, how do you define different places? Right? We, let's say we had Shabbos lunch here, but now I'm in the kitchen. Now I'm upstairs in my room. Or let's say it's a big social hall. You're on a Shabbaton at a hotel for a Shabbat Shabbat Brachos or something like that. What counts as Shinoi Makom? So here, the rules are, again, I'm going to paraphrase uh, the sources that you have in front of you, which is not time to read them inside, because I want to finish. But basically, we say as follows. If it's a big room, it can be a huge room, then it's all considered the same place. Okay, this is, an, I think, a common misconception. People don't often think they have to be sitting literally, you know, you're at a restaurant or at the hotel. Sure. I'd be sitting, right, literally sitting where I, where I ate. It's not true. It's not true. Anything that's in the same room, in the same room, it is considered the same place. Okay? Just to prove it to you, if you remember, I don't know when the last time you stayed till the end of a wedding is. Right? It's, you know, when you, when you, when it's your best friends or it's your sibling or your own wedding, or and then when it's your children's weddings, right? Or your nieces or your nephews, right? Most of your life, you know, you're happy to bug out way before the end. But there are a few special weddings where you stay till the end. What happens for Shavu Brachas? Everyone brings their chair forward. Right? They didn't do anything wrong then. It's not anything wrong. So if you're in one room, that's considered one place. What if it's the same house, same roof, but different room? So there, says the Shulchan Aruch, it depends. If you can see the second place from where you were eating, right? Shout out for open floor plans. <laughs> right? If you can see the other room, then it's okay. Even if it's technically a different room. I would say you see the room. Even seeing the room, I, I think is okay. I think. Okay? If you can see it. If you can't see it, right? So again, people have, you know, if, if you, whatever. I, I don't know if I'm, this. There are a lot of different people's floor layouts, right? But a lot of people could be sitting in their, on the couch and still see the dining room table. You're allowed to bench then. Okay? Even if you didn't have it in mind when you were originally eating. But that's considered the same thing. If you can't see it, then you really can't bench, unless here's the third rule, not this would happen in normal life, but in theory it could. If you know you're going to need to move, then the best thing is when you're making hamotzi and originally having the bread, or the challah, 
have in mind, I plan on continuing eating or benching somewhere else. If you have that in mind, that's not a forgetting. That was, that's all planned. If I have it planned, I know I'm going to have to go somewhere else. And this is what the post can discuss, again, which was a very common minute, apparently once upon a time, people would eat somewhere with deliberate assumption they're going to go, they'll dessert and have shavu brachos at someone else's house. If you know you're going to do that, so you have two solutions, either you bench in your own house and then you go, but if you knew you were planning on doing that and you had that in mind when you made hamotzi, it's totally fine even to go down the block, around the corner, three blocks away to go to shavu brachos, eat there a little bit, and then bench. But that's because you had in mind. Again, if you didn't have in mind, the more typical case of forgetting, it's the same room, it's not a problem at all. Everyone, even by Shammai, that's, that's all one room. It's a different room, but in the same house, it depends if you can see. If it's even beyond that, so then that was the machlokas that we saw. Better to go back like by Shammai, but if it's an accident and it's too inconvenient, you can rely on Beis Hill and Bench in the second place. Okay? But the, the, of course, the musr for the last half of today's year is the age-old truism, which is that an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. It is far better to bench from a bencher, so you won't get, forget what say. It is better to, make, to get into the habit that I don't get up from the table until I bench, etc. If you do that, your life is less complicated. We have enough things that are cluttering our brain as it is to remember. You don't want to have to worry about everything Rabbi Gottlieb said the last half an hour of this year. You can forget it all if you just make sure that you get into the habit of I never get up from the table without benching. In the possibility that you're not a robot, and it might happen, well, then you're going to have to remember what we learned in this year. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.